Chapter 10. Breakfast the next morning was a totally different experience. Although looking tired, Georgia seemed much happier that she had been reunited with her saxophone. Today, the main business was the road trip north to Newcastle. Esme was dreading the drive. She just felt safer behind the wheel as Georgia had not driven for years. Tonight, they had a show at the Gateshead Arena. A drive of a few hours on the A1, a day which they would all spend together, but with uneasy tensions. The optimism of their first drive, north from London, had disappeared. Georgia was clearly rattled by the missing sacks, and had the case at her feet in the passenger footwell. Ernest was quiet and avoided her eyes. Henry seemed listless, no doubt bored by the experience so far, bringing him along now looked disastrous. They had only played two shows out of ten, and they were unravelling faster than a 1970s rock band. A heavy drizzle fell as they left the A1, and began their approach into the hotel on the Newcastle side of the Tyne. They just had time to check in and dump bags before Ernest and Georgia had to meet downstairs for the short drive to the arena. After they left, Esme's only task was to get Henry ready for bed. He seemed listless and sweaty like he was developing a fever. No games for you today, she said. Try to sleep this thing off. Henry was too out of sorts to argue, and he brushed his teeth without protest. He had an adjoining room, which meant Esme could easily check on him without being in constant view. While she waited for him to fall asleep, she sat on her own bed reading. Half a bottle of wine rested on the bedside table. She sipped, then read, sipped and read. Every quarter of an hour she checked on Henry. Henry could take over an hour to fall asleep, and if she was really unlucky... He would ask her if they could watch television together. Tonight he tossed and turned, red-faced, a bead of sweat running down from his forehead into his damp hair. Should she have given him aspirin or paracetamol? He seemed to be asleep at last. If he woke up, she would give him some medicine. She crept close to his bed just as he let out a snort. He rolled over, fast asleep. She returned to her room and turned on the television. She hopped through all the channels twice before giving up and switching it off. The tour felt like it stretched out ahead of her for months or even years. They hadn't really started, hadn't had chance to get into a routine, but she felt wrung out. Finally, with a sigh, she decided to look in at the hotel bar. Just long enough for a gin cocktail or two, and then she would return to the room. She had hours to fill before Ernest and Georgia would return. Missing Ernest more than she expected, or missing the camaraderie of the poker table anyway, she carefully closed the adjoining bedroom door of Henry's room, then her own, and stepped into the hall. She would be no more than an hour, most likely only half that. Esme felt little guilt about leaving Henry on his own. The boy was a sound sleeper. At eleven, Esme herself had been left home alone when her mother had taken a weekend trip to Amsterdam with some guy she barely knew, but as she padded along the hall towards the lift, her main thoughts were for herself. Ernest had shone a brief light into her life, no doubt. This tour job had been obtained through his connections, and he had spent several evenings with her during rehearsals. The poker had become a shared mission, a way to help Henry, but even more immediately, an excuse for them to spend some time together. He had done what he could, and yet surely it was natural that she now felt left out, maybe more so than if they had never shared those poker nights. She reached the bar and ordered a martini without hesitation. She sat at the bar for a few minutes, using the mirrored wall behind it to look around the room. One man in particular drew her attention. Although his face was split by a join in the mirror, he looked familiar. She would have to turn and check, and he looked exactly like the man she had seen with Ernest the night before, in Leeds. But this was a hundred miles away. She had of course assumed that he was Ernest's coke dealer. But that didn't explain two meetings on consecutive nights, and now what looked like the beginning of a third meeting. On the contrary, Ernest seemed more stable now, like he was taking less coke and not drinking so hard. 
Maybe the poker had helped him too. Now that they were playing with a band each night, he had fewer opportunities to dose up. It seemed unlikely he would need a fresh coat delivery every day. She walked over to the man. Mind if I join you, she asked. He wore a good suit. I'm waiting for someone, he replied, without hesitation. Esme sat down anyway. I'll go when they get here, she said. I'm Esme, she said and held out her hand. He shook it firmly. I recognise you. I saw you in Leeds last night in the hotel. Some coincidence. The man finally looked at her properly. He no longer looked aloof. Do you know Ernest, she asked. He's a friend of mine. He plays with the band. Saxophone? Nearly. He was looking after that for my sister. Are you involved in the tour? He nodded. Yes, I am, he said. I'm John. What do you do on the tour, she asked him. Management. Very boring. Sounds important. I'm the babysitter. When spies talk about babysitters, they mean bodyguards, said John. Very thrilling job on occasion. The bar manager walked over and whispered in Esme's ear. The housekeeping manager had found her bedroom door ajar. Could she have forgotten to close it? What about Henry, she almost shouted, standing abruptly as panic set in. She knocked her chair backwards. Your nephew? Well, I mean, uh, nobody mentioned him. Our housekeeper said the room was undisturbed. It was empty. Oh, God. The bar manager quickly understood what had happened and put a rehearsed plan into action. It wasn't a plan he had ever used before. It wasn't a plan he had ever used before and had not paid full attention at the rehearsals. But he sent Esme up to start looking for Henry, one floor at a time, while he found the duty manager to raise the alarm. As Esme ran for the lift, she realised the tour management man, John, had followed her. I overheard enough to know you'll need some help looking for your nephew, he said. Esme nodded and allowed him into the lift. He was right, but her sole focus now was to find Henry quickly enough so that Georgia never needed to find out. On impulse, she jabbed at the buttons to stop the lift on the second floor. The breakfast restaurant was the one place in any hotel which Henry used often, and may well aim for in an emergency. Esme sent John left and she went right, looking over and under the tables, behind each plant and into each alcove. They shouted Henry's name as they went and returned to the lift without success. They went straight up to the seventh floor to check Esme's room again. It might give her some ideas about where Henry had gone. It'll be okay, said John as the lift opened again. What did he know? He must have been in his middle twenties, not much more than a boy himself. At least he was here, unlike Georgia and Ernest. Her own son, Max, was nearly three hundred miles away sleeping soundly, she very much hoped. She had an urge to call him, but she resisted it. Henry was missing and she would rightly get blamed. This was no time for battling the effects of a bottle of wine and a martini. Why did she do these things? Back in her room, there were no signs of struggle or drama. In Henry's adjoining room, the sheets were soaking wet with sweat. She assumed he had woken up, which had never happened before, and gone looking for her, too hot to get back to sleep on his own. Whatever was most likely and predictable, she told herself, was exactly what had happened. All of the shocking possibilities that surged through her mind were vanishingly unlikely. She started to retrace her steps along the hallway. Would Henry have turned left or right out of the room, in this unfamiliar hotel? Left, she knew, glaring at the prominent fire exit sign that pointed towards the lift and fire stairs. Yes, left. Running along the hall towards her was the bar manager with another man, most likely the general manager. We found him, Mrs Pearson, he said immediately. He was in the stairwell on the third floor. Maybe he was aiming for the restaurant. We just don't know why he took the stairs. Is he okay? 
Follow me, we'll take the staff lift and I'll explain. John, the management man, grasped her arm as they waited for the lift. I'll head back to my room, he said. I told you'd be okay. Thanks so much, she said instinctively, her thoughts in a daze. The lift doors closed between them. She hoped to see him again tomorrow night to tell him the full story. Please don't be alarmed, said the manager as the lift descended. Henry is conscious. Jolly good, why wouldn't he be? We already called an ambulance. I'm only guessing, of course, but we think, perhaps, that he passed out on the stairs and took a tumble. There are no cuts or scrapes on him. We don't think he got knocked out. What? Let's see what the ambulance staff think, he replied, suddenly reticent. Did he have a fever? Esme nodded. Ambulances, hospitals, it was all too familiar. Surely his fever wasn't due to his condition. She didn't know what to watch for, hadn't been told. But now Georgia would have to be told, although not just yet, and not until Esme knew what was going on. They reached Henry after the paramedics, who had already made everything look very dramatic, by attaching a drip to his arm and an oxygen mask to his face. Why did you leave the room? she asked, almost shouting. I woke up feeling terrible. The lift was too slow, stopping at every floor, so I tried the stairs. I'm sorry. Did you trip on the stairs? No, I just felt really tired. I sat down for a minute, and then I felt so sleepy, and then the next thing I knew was all these ambulance people. Okay, said Esme, you'll be fine. They're going to do some checks at the hospital just to be safe. I'll follow you in the car and let your mum know so she can meet us. Henry smiled and blinked, and a silent tear ran down his cheek. The band made it through the first set, up to the point where several of them were rested for some less produced unplugged-type numbers. As Georgia left the stage, one of the tour managers took her aside. As Ernest caught up with her, it was clear that something was wrong. Where are they? Where is Henry? she shouted at everyone and nobody at the same time. Any answer would do. Ernest rested a hand on her shoulder. He wanted to say something like, don't panic, but it wouldn't be enough. Their stand-in bass player caught Ernest's arm. They're at the hospital, he said quietly. We haven't got any more information right now, so we didn't want to break the show. We have a car waiting for Georgia to go and join them if she wants to, but they're just running tests. What happened to Henry? asked Ernest. Why did Esme take him to hospital? He looked a bit woozy, like he didn't know where he was. He sort of stumbled around a bit and tripped. So she took him straight off there. Ernest nodded thanks. It sounded like Esme had done the right thing. Georgia, Georgia, head out the back. They've got a car waiting for you. And Georgia left the arena just like that. One minute they had been playing side by side, and the next he was returning to the fray without her for the first time in weeks. He sleepwalked through the second half. There was still no news from the hospital, so he took himself to the car park and drove there in a borrowed car. The first time Ernest had visited a hospital due to Henry had been completely different. A prearranged appointment with a specialist. Routine. The rarefied air of a meticulous white room. This time it was A&E anarchy. Trolleys lined the halls. Ambulances screeched in to deliver various victims. A city hospital during the night had more drunks than a pub. There was some fresh vomit oozing from underneath a curtain. The place stank of decay. Ernest roamed, pocketing his hand to stop the tremor. How on earth did anyone find their relatives in such a place? Finally he was stopped. No doubt it was the knee-length leather coat and shades. Henry Pearson, he said. The person in uniform nodded and pointed. He would have got there on his own within ten paces. The curtain was closed. Inside the curtain, Esme sat on her own with wet red eyes. I'm sorry. I'm really sorry, she said. 
Where is Georgia? he asked, but he meant to say Henry. I'm just really sorry, Ernest. Never mind you. Where's Henry? They went for a scan. Seems like hours ago. I mean, we should have noticed. He's not been himself at all. Ernest sat down next to Esme, somehow reluctant to throw an arm around her shoulders. He hadn't given much thought to Henry since they arrived for the rehearsals. Not directly, anyway. He had spent a lot of time worrying about his fundraising attempts, all of which were to help Henry the name, Henry the concept. How much time had he spent playing with Henry the person? Had he even known that Henry wasn't himself? I didn't notice, he said. Too busy. He finally put an arm around her, and she leaned into him, staring at the floor and fiddling with a wet tissue. How long have they been gone? Not sure. They said it would take an hour. Let's get coffee. They walked along the corridor. Ernest noticed that the pool of vomit had been cleaned up. They walked on towards the drinks machine in the corner. A man stood next to it, leaning against it with his head. He looked like he could fall down at any moment. He groaned as Ernest stepped towards the machine. No wonder nobody else was using it. He jabbed at the buttons and had generated two white coffees in stinky brown plastic cups. Esme gulped at hers even though it was uncomfortably hot. They continued to walk away from the curtained cubicles. Ernest realised that the hospital was one long, square corridor set around a courtyard. It would be too cold to stand out there for long, but he felt the need for fresh air. He pushed open a glass door, and they walked out into the late autumn light. Not very rock and roll, he said to the heavens. Do you think tonight is the end, Ernest? I do. I feel like whatever we thought we were doing for Henry or Georgia is probably over. He did think that. He nodded. His first, unedited hope was that whatever else happened, Georgia could stay with him on the tour, which meant that whatever was wrong with Henry had to be comparatively minor. Even if it meant Henry and Esme leaving them, he desperately wanted Georgia to stay. Somewhat ironically, he could clear a lot more money shifting what remained of the cocaine than he would on the tour. That was just the means to the end, the alibi, the channel for the drugs to flow along. That would be easier if all of them went home and left him on his own. Although, it would be a little harder to explain where the money had come from. He had his eyes firmly on the hundred grand. Let's go back and see if there's any news, he said eventually. There was news, not quite as bad as expected, but it hit Ernest hard. Georgia, looking strained and tired, plainly wanted to go home to London as soon as possible. They think his condition is worse, she said, and he needs his specialist back in London. Could Esme take him? I mean, we need the tour money. I've already had time to think about it, replied Georgia. I think Henry needs me more than he needs his operation. Ernest had expected her to reach that conclusion, but he saw it as a temporary setback, whereas in Georgia he saw defeat. He felt like she was giving up on the whole idea of an operation. She was taking Henry home to look after him, until the inevitable end. Whatever else happened to them, Ernest became even more determined to stay on tour and raise the money. His little secret, his big secret, was even more important now. But the thought of being alone was intolerable. If he couldn't have Georgia, he would cling to Esme. She would no doubt welcome the chance to kick back on tour without a young boy, even her sister's boy, to look after. But he would suggest it later on when the dust had settled. You won't go tonight, though, said Esme. No, I need sleep, and Henry is exhausted. We'll go first thing tomorrow. I'll drive you home in the morning then, said Esme, flatly enough to give Ernest hope. He would have a chat with her later on. 
Let's get out of this place, he said, back to the hotel and bed.